You're listening to a Chicago Sports Nation production, enhancing your Chicago sports fan experience. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into Shy Sox Weekly. I am John Suarez, along with my co-host, Tony Marchese. Tony, how are you doing today, man? I am doing awesome. How are you, John? I'm doing great because Thunderstruck just played in the background, and I don't know about you, but Thunderstruck gets me going, my dude. Thunderstruck gets me pumped up. It gets me ready for White Sox baseball. It gets me ready for Shy Sox Weekly. That's our new intro. I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, that one's going to stick for quite some time. Uh, No offense to our old intro. Everybody loves Sweet Home Chicago. It's a good song. But Thunderstruck is just way more White Sox oriented. You know, every time I hear Thunderstruck, I think that Bobby Jenks is coming in a lockdown the ninth. So it throws me back, gives me good memories, and it's a good song. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than listening to ACDC on your way into a White Sox game. I mean, every time that I'm going in to watch the White Sox play. I've got a playlist. It's ACDC heavy. I'm listening to that on my way to the ballpark nonstop. I miss the Pirates of the Caribbean intro that led into Thunderstruck before a White Sox game. I miss that too. I forgot who put something out about that this week on Twitter. I think it was some of the guys from Southside Sox. Don't quote me on it. But yeah, they need to bring that intro back. That was yeah. the greatest intro ever. Yeah, they do. Um, I think there was actually something that came out too on Twitter that the when they cut that in 2012, that was the last winning season that the Sox had. I want I want that intro back. I, I miss it dearly. I think that it was the best intro in all sports. Yeah. So um, aside from the intro, you know, obviously the intro is new. We have a couple new things. We do have our first guest today, which is obviously a big step forward for us. Tony, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, who we got for our first guest today? Yeah, we're actually going to bring on Clinton Cole from Future Sox. Uh, Clinton follows the minor league goings-on in the White Sox organization. We're very excited to talk to Clinton. Uh, we're going to get a little bit of in-depth coverage into what's going on in our minor league farm system. Um, Clinton just actually spoke to Michael Kopech after his start today in Charlotte, and we're very excited to have him on and get some inside information as to what's going on down there. Yeah, so like you said, he does uh, great coverage for Future Sox. If you guys don't know what Future Sox is, you are sleeping under a rock. But Future Sox uh, covers all the minor league affiliates of the Chicago White Sox. They have fantastic coverage. They write blogs. They have a podcast, uh, which um, Clinton actually hosts. But aside from that, we also do have a couple other things that we want to get to today. Um, Since we last spoke, I went to a game. I went to the Saturday the 7th game off Impulse. I just bought tickets Saturday morning and went to the game, and I sat with the Section 108ers, so that was a fun experience, so we'll get to that a little bit. And then we are actually, um, aside from all the fun stuff we've got going on, the White Sox suck. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, they've had quite a rough week, but I hear you did have quite the quite the time on the seventh with those guys from the one oh eight. You wanna you wanna jump right into that, John? Yeah, so I had a great time, but honestly it started a little rocky. So I bought the tickets off of SeatGeek on the morning of it was more so an impulse thing. I kinda just I didn't want to go alone. I was gonna go alone. <laughs> I hit up a couple people to see if they wanted to go. And a buddy finally got back to me, and it was, like, kind of in time. You know, it was right around that time where, like, if we left right then and there, we would get there maybe 30 minutes before first pitch. So, obviously, we had to account for, like, the meetup time and all that. So, we were running on a track to get, like, right to the ballpark by first pitch, which we did. We pulled into the parking spot, like, right around the top of the first. But the worst thing was is we walked up to the gate, and I tried to use – the uh, PDF file that I got off of SeatGeek with the tickets on it, and they don't accept electronic downloaded tickets. So PSA for all you White Sox fans, if you are going to Guaranteed Rate Field at any point this year, 
print your tickets. I've never run into this issue before. I've honestly brought digital tickets to a White Sox game before, so that's why I thought it was a little bit odd. Maybe it was just SeatGeek. This was honestly the first time I ever went through SeatGeek. No harm or anything against them. It was actually it was a great experience, and I got the tickets for very cheap. But yeah, aside from that, I sat in section 107 right next to section 108, so I got to uh, enjoy a game with our one of our favorite uh, Twitter groups. They are a lot of fun, dude. If you guys have time, go catch a game with those dudes. I know you caught a little bit of a game with them. Yeah, so I actually got to meet them opening day. I spent some time down there. Actually, it was actually in the extra innings. My buddy and I went down and uh, spent some some time down in 108. Shout out to Beef Loaf. Uh, he was actually absolutely hilarious uh, when we when we went down there. But regardless, I actually wanted to also touch on on the SeatGeek issue. I also bought my tickets on SeatGeek for for opening day, and I was on my way to the ballpark. And my buddy who I was going to go to the game with actually texted me and said, hey, did you print the tickets? I said no, because I had never actually had to deal with printing the tickets that never, I bought right? on. Yeah, I, I'm a StubHub guy. Vivid Seeds guy. <laughs> Regardless, um, he asked me if I printed the tickets. And I said no. And he goes, well, you better, you, you might want to print them. I'm like, ah, oh, well, I'm already en route to the stadium. So I you know, took a PDF copy of it, sent it via email over to my buddy and he printed them out, but it, it was kind of weird. So that, that makes sense as to why, why you needed to print those. Uh, but yeah, I definitely did spend some time down in the 108. I did see the, the actual cup holder that, uh, Brian Billick, uh, destroyed, I guess you would say, uh, <laughs> beef loaf did show me that I have a picture of it. Yeah, good times. Good times down in the 108. I'm hoping to uh, definitely enjoy some more uh, this season down there with them. Yeah, so they're an electric group. They're a fun group of guys. Um, aside from just Beef Fluff, I'm at My Sock Summer. I'm at Cherizi. You know, they're a, they're a good group of dudes. Um, we shared some stories. You know, obviously they got a couple better stories than me, being season ticket holders and having been around a lot more fun than I have. But... Um, <laughs> Cherizi, shout out Cherizi, because you gave a shout out to Beef Love. Cherizi said this line, because you had posted this picture on Twitter about how the foul pole kind of blocks a little bit of the view of the yes. field. Yes, So I, I had I... brought that up with Cherizi, and uh, his exact response had me dying. He said, well, the thing is, is from this angle, I've never actually had to watch James Shields throw a pitch. And I thought that was hilarious. Oh, that, well, you know what? I retract my tweet statement. Uh, I know exactly why they like that view now. Uh, I'm sure the same applies when Carson Fulmer pitches. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Speaking of, let's get into this week's recaps. Why don't we? Yeah. Well, actually, real quick. So the one last thing that I want to touch on from the Section 108 guys was if you want to go back and look at that box score, who had the best game was Yohan Mankata. He went two for four, and he had a walk. And I don't know if you guys follow us on Twitter, Section 108 on Twitter, but we ate Twinkies for Yohan Mankata that day, and he broke out of his slump. And I haven't had a Twinkie since, and he's been playing like crap. Maybe you just need to eat more Twinkies, John. Everybody send me Twinkies. I'm not sending you any Twinkies, but you I don't can eat, go buy your I own. I don't need Twinkies in my life, to be honest, but if it means Yohan Mankata is going to be good then i'll sacrifice my summer body well you know what i think that we also have the remedy here it's called i rip on yohan mancata for the rest of the year and i think he'll be fine i don't know if you guys have done your uh research but in the last couple podcasts tony has ripped on at least one specific individual on the chicago white Sox, and that very next time they went out and played they played amazing so we don't know what this is we're not superstitious i'm not a superstitious guy are you a superstitious guy tony i am absolutely the most superstitious guy that you can ever meet and, and that I is why that... this is crazy marchese exactly and that is something that we will absolutely track as the season goes right now you're four for four so yep i take pride in that four for four by the way i i do too <laughs> that's amazing Yep, but let's get back to let's get back to that first game that you get you spent with the 108. That was on the seventh. That was a Saturday game. 
That was a 6-1 loss to Detroit. That was a Giolito start. Yeah, he looked rough. I mean, I got there, and they were down 2 to nothing. They were already losing from the jump. Still well, had a great time. But. Well, if SeatGeek had let you in just a little bit earlier, you would have been able to experience the five and two-thirds innings pitch start from Giolito, where he gave up four hits and five earned runs. He also walked three batters and struck out four. Uh, Hector Santiago got to see some action in that game. He did as great. Well. I remember him doing great. I don't think he gave up maybe like two or three hits. Yeah, that was also the Juan Manaya game. No, uh, Manaya was no Manaya. It was uh, Gregory and Fonte pitched, and they well, sent actually, them. They sent actually, them down right actually, after. both of those guys pitched. I think you may have been a little bit inebriated. Uh, Juan <laughs> Manaya came into that game and gave up an earned run and also walked four batters. Uh, he did not Big record an out at all. That was quite the rough game. But yeah, so Manaya, I got my pitchers mixed up because they're both so awful. But Infante got sent down a few games later, but Manaya got sent down literally like as I was leaving the parking lot. Yeah, Manaya did get sent down that day. Uh, he did not record an out, like we said. Just absolutely atrocious. He was replaced shortly thereafter by Bruce Rondon. That was on Sunday. So on yeah. Sunday, the Sox offense just absolutely failed to show up to the ballpark. And probably our best pitching performance of the whole season to date. That was depressing. Yeah. They have now wasted quite a few Ronaldo Lopez starts. I remember during this game a few uh, reach-outs on Twitter that said, is Ronaldo Lopez the next Jose Quintana? Uh, it feels real at this point. It feels like Ronaldo Lopez does not get any run support. Ronaldo Lopez pitched his ass off in this game. Seven innings, only gave up two hits, struck out five. He did walk five, so the walks are kind of a concern at that point, but that wasn't really the reason that we lost the game. The reason we lost this game was definitely due to the offense. If you look at what the Sox were doing in spring training and early in this year, it was not just going over. The Sox only had three hits in this game, and two came from Avi and one from Tim Anderson. Everybody else just was atrocious at the plate this day. I know the cold kind of has something to do with this, but we we are a Chicago team. That's not really going to be an excuse uh, for for every game here. The guys need to adjust. They need to they need to make contact. Uh, the Tigers threw Mike Fires that game. He's not exactly you know Clayton Kershaw. It, it was just a p- poor showing for the offense. I was about to say you could have fooled me. They looked awful. Uh, that wants to bring me to basically my next point, which to kind of stray away a little bit from a week recap is that. Adam Angle has not turned that corner from his spring performance. He looked amazing in the spring, and right now he's hitting like 150. 138. I just gave him a little bit right there. He's not even hitting 150. Well, Adam Angle definitely tore it up during the spring and has he deserved, not carried it over. Yeah, no, he, he deserved, deserved to start. Yeah, like he, he deserved to get that look in center field, but I think that it's it's time to kind of weed him out and move Larry Garcia into that role. He deserved, like you said, his, his starting role on the team, and I think his defense has also kind of carried that. But let's touch but on the fact that Ricky... he's looked rocky. Defense, yeah. I mean, not 100%, but like he's, he's made some plays where the, like, or he hasn't made some plays that are very makeable plays in the outfield. Well, Ricky Renteria has yet to change his lineup at all, um, except for I think he did make one move. Uh, I mean, based on some you know player illness or, or injury at some point. Yeah, barring like someone getting an off day, that's the only movement he's made. the The lineup has stayed the same. I don't like Avi Garcia in that two hole. No, and I don't like Yon in the in the one spot. But, yeah. Uh, the fact that Ricky has not made any lineup changes, you go into the next game after that one nothing loss to Detroit, and you take a five to four loss to Tampa Bay. That game would have been even scarier if it wasn't for Jose Abreu hitting that that home run in the in the ninth. Yeah, that uh, that game just sucked because what happened was. The Sox were originally slotted to play that game at seven ten, which is like their normal 
uh, weeknight start time, and they moved that and the Tuesday game's time up to a 1 o'clock afternoon Monday, April start time. So, it, like, I, I don't remember the exact attendance. I think it was, like, 924 people there, though. It was one of the lowest um, attended games in the Sox history. Well, you know what? The attendance, and this is something that gets me absolutely fired up. I'm I'm really fired up about it because everybody seemed to open their mouth about the attendance here. This all game Cubs was fans. Re- yep, yep, all Cubs fans. This game was rescheduled. This wasn't the original intended time for the game. It was on a Monday afternoon. Lay off a little bit, I guess is the message here. The Cubs haven't even had that, you know, great of attendance over this weekend and I think the weather was better. They literally played a home game yesterday. It was a weekend home game, and you Darvish was pitching. And I saw way more empty seats than I saw full seats. So I don't really want to hear attendance nonsense in April when it's 20 degrees outside. No one wants to go to a baseball game when it's football weather. Well, I, we did kind of get into a little bit of a Twitter bout with, with a Cubs fan who thought that it was acceptable for him to comment on White Sox attendance, but it wasn't acceptable for anybody to comment on the fact that that Monday the Cubs canceled their game, but the Sox played. Um, I don't think their either, home opener. Yeah, it was their home opener. I don't think it's really you know fair to to comment on either. But if somebody's going to take shots at attendance, I think it's also fair to say that. The Sox do have a better grounds crew than than the Cubs. That's not, you know, commenting on the teams. That's not really commenting on performance. It's not commenting on players. But there is something to be said that the Sox do have a world-class ground crew, and they played that game. Same city. I I know that Roger Bossard also had an interview during the during the day after he had kind of gotten the field ready and and the game was going on. The media did interview him, and, and he commented on the fact that the Cubs had like maybe an inch more of snow. I still don't think that's really an excuse to cancel a baseball game. The, the Cubs are kind of notorious for this. Uh, last year, they also canceled the game against Milwaukee, where you know for rain, and it never rained that day. I don't foresee them stopping canceling games for you know the slightest of conditions that that might hinder hinder them playing the Sox ended up losing that game like we said they did. Uh, but at least they played it at least they're they lucky it. they played it especially with basically this whole series against the twins getting postponed aside from the opener which i wish we never even played because jose barrios just absolutely lit us up but uh, yeah i don't understand why that guy thought it was acceptable to comment on the attendance but just get super defensive about the other subjects so yeah if if you want to take shots at something as I, I guess stupid as the attendance of a baseball game in early april uh that's been rescheduled and it's you know 30 degrees out uh nobody wants to be sitting out in 30 degree weather on a monday afternoon it but was just funny regardless. that the Cubs, Cubs were, Cubs fans were just trying to compare it, and like that you let your home opener get canceled. It was like literally the most important home game you have on your schedule for that year. You have the whole off season to prepare. Weather forecasts are around for weeks prior. Like you knew what you were getting yourself into, and you weren't ready. And the yep. Sox made you look stupid. So it happens. Obviously, we're not better than the Cubs right now. I'm not saying any of that. I don't want millions of Cubs fans in my mentions saying that I'm bashing the Cubs, but our grounds crew, yeah, better. Yeah. No, and Roger Bossard, huge shout out to him. He he is the best in the business. Uh, the, the sad Sox, father. Yep. The Sox do employ the best grounds crew. And, you know, we don't have a roof. We don't have, uh, you know, that luxury of being able to play whenever uh, we have inclement weather in Chicago. Uh, Roger Bossard does a great job of getting the field ready. Uh, and there's nothing but good things to say about, you know, the way that our field looks. You know, it's something that we are, you know, we take for granted maybe. But um, it's something that we can boast as Sox fans that we have that other teams don't. Because, you know, it, it, it showed on Monday that uh yeah. that we came prepared and that's awesome 
Uh, Roger could work for any Major League Baseball club if he wanted to, uh, but he he chooses to work for the White Sox, and that's something that we need to we need to appreciate. Uh, moving on from that, though, uh, the Sox did lose that game, and then they took a uh, they took on Tampa Bay, and on Tuesday they also took a loss. Like we said, yeah. six to five. Jose Abreu did have a late-inning home run, uh, but that game was kind of out of hand before even that happened. That, um, yeah, it was like six to or it was five to one, like the whole game. But yeah, it was pretty much five to one. Yeah, that game was just ugly from the start. Who pitched that game? That was Fulmer, right? Yes, that was a Carson Fulmer start. Carson yeah. did have quite a rough day. Yeah, uh, he went four and two thirds, gave up five hits, three. It was runs. a control thing again. It was, yep. it was. He was this giving was... up those walks too early in the inning, and he couldn't get out of the. I mean, he only gave up like what three earned. I mean, I'm not he gonna did say only. only. Gi- he did only give up three earned, but he did give up six walks within those four and two third innings. Not exactly what we want to see from Carson. I'm gonna get on Carson again right here. Uh, we need better. Out of Carson Fulmer, this is this was this was the kind of start that I look at Carson Fulmer and I say bullpen. We can't have that kind of damage done in the first few innings. I know it was only three earned, but six walks is is really unsightly. Yeah, uh, I really don't have much to say about the Tuesday game. They didn't really quit. I mean. That was another instance of the Rickies boys don't quit. There was two outs, and Abreu clubbed that home run, brought him basically from an awful score to a not-so-ugly loss, but that's not really what we're looking for. (laughs) No, it's not. You want to see them come out and finish that game. They actually had a chance at the end, I remember it, and Mankata struck out, and that isn't the first time we've seen that this year. No. He didn't have that bad of a game. I mean, he did have a hit. He did walk in that game, and he also scored a run. Uh, but, you know, it's it's clutch situations. Um, I actually wrote a blog kind of on what he's done in clutch situations uh, earlier today and with men on base and scoring in, in scoring position. But this was one of those classic cases where uh, he did not get the clutch hit. I think that's why people are, are frustrated with him. Uh, but he wasn't exactly the story of this game. I think the story here uh, was the fact that the White Sox offense didn't wake up until the ninth inning. You only yeah. give up, you know, you only give up six runs. Things get a little bit out of hand there. Um, they went from the third inning to the sixth inning consecutively, giving up runs, and they only scored one in the fifth. So by the time that we got into the ninth, uh, and Jose hits that home run. Uh, things were kind of already looking pretty bleak. Uh, you you did see again Hector Santiago, uh, Infante, and, and Bummer in this game. None of them pitched exceptionally well. Nothing really jumped off the charts. Uh, it was just kind of one of those games that you kind of uh, got got a little bit frustrated watching. Probably by the fourth fifth inning, you know, not an easy one to watch at all. Yeah, it wasn't at all. Um... Yeah, I'm over that game. <laughs> Moving on to the Wednesday game, which honestly probably shouldn't have even been a victory, and I know you wrote about that a little bit in your blog. Um, the White Sox were losing one to nothing the whole entire game, and they had two outs. Was it? Yeah, they had two outs in the bottom of the eighth, and Jose Abreu got on base with a single, and Matt Davidson dropped a bomb, hit it out, took the lead two to one, and they held on. So that was actually their only win since we have last recorded. Yeah, and and this was absolutely a surprise. Uh, You know, the feeling was kind of deflating heading into that inning. You did not expect the Sox to score a run. It's it's kind of fascinating how quickly things change, especially with this this motto of Ricky's boys don't quit. Um, it, It kind of felt like they had already quit on that game when this inning happened at, at least for me i did not expect davidson to hit that home run the the cold temperatures in chicago during these these two series within the homestand seemed to completely deflate the chicago offense um they hit i think that was their first home run that they had hit that entire time it was uh, if i remember correctly 
not exactly something that you would have expected uh, after the first two series that they played. Uh, they were very home run happy. Uh, and then they came here and there was this absolute drought. Uh, so watching Davidson go yard there uh, was kind of a very good feeling to know that you know he still has it. He still got it. Um, I know there were a lot of shots over this this past two series that that should have been out and would be out if it was you know June July uh, just based on the weather. But um, seeing Matt Davidson go yard there and salvage the the home stand, uh, you don't you don't want to see them get swept in two consecutive series to start off the season at home. That that would have been very very bad for this team. So you had actually mentioned that you didn't think that they had it in them to come back, but I don't know if you remember, me and you were texting during that game, and I had predicted that Jose Abreu was going to hit a home run to tie it, and I was one batter off. And I'm okay with being one batter off, because if Abreu hit the home run, it would have just been a tie. But Matt Davidson hit the home run, and they took the lead. I don't, but remember. I thought I I don't remember you sending that text message at all. <laughs> You don't? For <laughs> no. real? I have it pulled up right here. <laughs> nah, I'm just messing with you. I didn't I didn't I didn't want to give you credit for it, but <laughs> Well, yeah, that was basically or no, actually we did play one more game, which we kinda talked about a little bit. The uh offense didn't really play. But we start we tried to start that series against the Minnesota Twins. I don't remember what the final score was exactly, but I know that Barreos went like I think he had like eleven strikeouts and six or seven innings pitched. I remember I was actually at work that game, so I missed like a majority of the game. But I wanna say that it did not look too well. Did you watch that game, Tony? I did, uh unfortunately. Um Jose just absolutely dominated the White Sox. He was looking very special. The Twins won that game four to nothing. Barrios went seven innings, only gave up three hits and struck out eleven White Sox hitters, and then the bullpen kind of shut them down. Like I said, there was only three hits. Those came from Delmonico, Sanchez, and Anderson. Uh, that was about all the White Sox could muster up on offense. Uh, and that dropped the White Sox to 4-8 and eight on the year. There's not really much else to talk about in this game. I didn't really derive any positives from it. There just really wasn't anything good. Uh, you don't like seeing the Sox drop that 4 nothing at all, especially coming after coming after one of those wins where you probably shouldn't have gotten the win, but you did. Normally that will drive a team uh, to have a little bit of momentum coming into the game, but they just absolutely look terrible. And then this whole weekend has been been a wash with the snow up in minnesota how about the scheduling that's been going on here who schedules these games for early april in minnesota and chicago the Sox have not had any good weather so far i'm really looking forward to this trip to oakland yeah i was looking at that too they go out to the west and then they come back home and they play the uh, astros but I actually saw this interesting tidbit that Brian Billick had put out. I think it was the morning of the Twins game. So this was prior to the game against the Twins, but obviously probably didn't improve much for them losing 4 to nothing. But the White Sox at that point were 17 for 101 with runners in scoring position, which is 168. And that's something that we're really used to seeing. And we need to get past that. Yeah, the runners in scoring position uh, hitting has just been absolutely abysmal this year. That needs to turn around. I'm wondering how much of that is our boy Yon Mancada. Yon has been absolutely atrocious with runners in scoring position. And even just with men on base. That needs to turn itself around. Sure does. Moving on from the actual White Sox, the White Sox minor league affiliates got it going in this last week. And uh, to get it started, Luis Alexander Basabe has been absolutely raking Tony. Yes, he absolutely has. He has been tearing up the minor leagues this season so far for the Winston-Salem Dash. I can't wait to dig into his stats, but we do have to give credit to somebody who kind of called this from the from the get-go here uh and do you know who that is john yeah that's gonna be our redline radio guy white Sox dave he uh he had saw or he had seen him 
live when he was down in Scottsdale and he just really thought that he saw something that nobody else was seeing and now it's kind of coming to fruition and you can now everybody's starting to see it it is and Basabe is just like we said tearing it up here he's got uh 39 plate appearances he has scored six runs he's got 14 hits uh the doubles jump off the chart he's already got three of them uh early on in this year within the first week he's batting 400 right now and he two is, triples yep he is just jumping off the charts i can't wait to dig in with clinton and talk more about Pasabe and his development but kind of the underrated guy here that we got uh in this rebuild uh you know not kind of one of those bigger names like a like a Kopech or a mancata but i'm really excited to see what Pasabe can bring to the table yeah, so aside from Basabe, the White Sox pitching in the minors has been absolutely incredible. The combined stats from Michael Kopech, Dane Dunning, and Dylan Cease is 32 innings pitched with a 113 ERA with 39 strikeouts and 10 walks. And all of them combined have a below one whip. That is absolutely incredible. And if you think about it, with all the guys that we're getting in this rebuild, what is That's this rotation going to look? Yeah, what is this rotation yeah. going to look like in five years? You, you you don't even you don't even know because there's so much talent that's down there, and who's going to pan out? Who's going to continue to pitch that way? I think that there's a lot of guys who have a very high ceiling, but also a very high floor. Um, Guys like Kopech, guys like Alec Hansen, who we haven't even seen yet this year, um, are just you know gonna be coming in waves. Uh, and then you start to get into the guys like Dylan Cease, uh, the bullpen guys like like Birdie. I mean, it's just it's very very exciting time to be a White Sox fan because there are going to be pitching prospects coming up uh, in, in these waves that you know we haven't seen before and you know Dylan Cease is one of those guys that I'm very excited to see Um, whether or not he sticks as a rotation guy or whether or not he ends up in the bullpen um, it's it's very exciting to know that we we probably have enough guys down there if, if everybody pans out which they probably won't but if if everything pans out you might have a full bullpen staff and full rotation of guys that that uh that all are, you know, within homegrown. our minor league system. Yep, within homegrown within our minor league system right now, um, and that's not something you see very often. Yeah, so I mean, even aside from the pitching, they've just been playing exciting ball games, like stuff that stretches beyond a stat sheet. So the other day, the Winston Salem Dash were playing their home opener, and they were in extra innings. And Joel Booker stole home to walk it off. It was unreal. I don't know. Did you see that video? I did. Well, with that said, let's bring in Clinton. All right, Shy Sox Weekly fans, without further ado, that's going to bring on our very first guest. This is a very special guest to us. We're now welcoming on Clinton Cole. He is uh, the host of the Future Sox podcast from futuresox.com. He also founded Deep Dish West Lafayette. So he covers a little bit of college sports too, but we mainly have him on here to talk minor league White Sox baseball. How you doing, Clinton? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing not, pretty good. Not bad, Clinton. Thanks for coming on. Uh, the first thing we wanted to get into, we heard you spoke with uh, Michael Kopech yesterday. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? And uh, I know John is dying to pick your brain on uh, how that <laughs> went. Yeah, so yesterday was was pretty cool. I went down to Charlotte. It's my first time in uh, – not in the city of Charlotte, but um, at the Charlotte Knights Stadium. And I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but that is it's a pretty impressive uh, stadium with the Charlotte skyline as the backdrop. So that I mean that was cool to begin with. Then you get there, and they have they use their their Sox and Knights 20th year anniversary logo. So it's similar to the uh, red and white and blue uh, Sox logos that you saw them more on Sundays. Um, so that was really sweet. Uh, and then of course it was Kopech Day. So um, you know being able to get all the access. I was down in the field, you know, watching him warm up, you know, in the dugout with him, um, and then just taking pictures and stuff like that, and then, of course, talked to him after the game, um, and that is that is an impressive young man. You know, you, you see a lot, of, a lot of prospects in baseball, you know, a lot of top prospects that 
they may have the physical stuff, but they don't have it between the ears. And you can tell that Kopech has it between the ears as well. Um, just hearing him speak after the game, um, our our founder, our editor, Matt Cassidy, uh, talked to was talking to me after the game. He said, he reminds me a lot of Paul Canerico. He's very analytic um, and just dissects what he does and is very, very knowledgeable about it, about his craft. Yeah, so I honestly, like how you said, he's very knowledgeable between the ears. There was this one part of your interview where he had said that he was working on his changeup, and the exact quote from it said, a couple of them got hit, I think, by the same guy, actually. So that shows me that he is actually paying attention to, like, Every single hit pattern, the fact that he knows immediately after the game without looking at a box score that the same dude hit his changeup twice, that's big to me. Yeah, I mean, that was the question I asked him. He mentioned, he said that he needed to work on his composure a little bit. um, And, you know, he's working on going deeper into games. And so then I asked him, I said, so outside of those two things, I mean, those are, those are, you know, a broad spectrum of things. I said, what's one thing you need to work on before moving up? And he said, you know, no secret, there's his changeup. And that's when he got into it. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I mean, I, I knew what he was going to say, but you don't, I mean, you ask questions, sometimes you ask questions that you already know the answer to, but you want them to say it because you can't just assume that that's it. You know what I mean? And it's better to have them say it so you can, you, you can run with it. Um, and see, so he said it in that change up, man, yesterday he had some filthy change ups. I'll tell you that, but yes, he knew exactly when he was throwing them and, um, and yeah, he, he knew the exact results. He went six innings. He was good on the mound, a couple hard-hit balls, but when you throw upper 90s, you throw hard. If you, as long as you make contact, if you're throw, if you throwing upper 90s and someone makes contact, the ball's going to go. So that's not really that's not really too worrisome whatsoever. Yeah, so he had been saying he's a fastball guy and that he sets up off of his fastball. So that's pretty interesting to see that he's working this changeup in there. I know that the reason that he's really like still down is because he needs a lot of work on that changeup. So it's nice to see right. that he's starting to garnish a little confidence with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, his fastball, he said yet last night, you know, he's always going to be a fastball pitcher. You know, if I threw 99, 100 miles an hour, I would also be a fastball pitcher. So, I mean, that's not a secret. But you also need your secondary and tertiary pitches and that slider and that changeup, man. That's what that's what's gonna that's what's gonna set him apart to be a true ace in the league and not just someone else who just comes up throwing a million miles an hour. If you had to guess what the time frame is on the development of that changeup and when Kopech arrives in in Chicago, what would you have to uh, have to say? So it's interesting. The Sox play a doubleheader in a couple weeks, I believe, like twenty sixth or the twenty eighth. Um, that doesn't now. With with a guy like Kopech, they're not going to bring him up and then send him back down. So that's like that's the first possible date I can think of, but that's also in two weeks. So that's maybe one more start, two more starts, and I don't think that's going to be enough time. Um, I was talking to, to to Matt Cassidy. We were talking about Eloy and and um, and Kopech and, and talking about timetables and stuff. And we're both thinking, man, if, if it's before May, we're we're going to be shocked. Not for Eloy, obviously, because he hasn't played, but for Kopech. Um, if it's before May, we're going to be shocked. Uh, it's just tough because you see the White Sox rotation and you see James Shields and you see Miguel Gonzalez. You see these guys just, uh, it's, it's very disappointing. Getting <laughs> let up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've got Kopech down there. He's ready to go. But at the same time, the Sox aren't winning anything this year. I know, I know going into it, we're like, oh, maybe they'll surprise and win. 83 games and maybe get a wild you guys saw that bullpen is trash and they can't play defense they can't pick up the ball so that's a problem and and honestly even if it wasn't i don't think that would have mattered to rakan either way to bring Kopech up i'd be surprised if it's i'd say late may early june at the earliest in my opinion okay and that, and that that's the very earliest i mean i now watch me get called up in two weeks Yep, exactly. <laughs> it, it always happens that way. Now, uh, the next question I had for you is, what do you think that the outfield is going to look like in 2020? We've got quite a few prospects down in the minor league system that are all going to be vying for a spot. Guys like Rutherford, Basabe. We obviously have Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert out there. Uh, you know, we already have guys like Avi Garcia, who's you know a potential uh, guy that'll stick around. Uh, for the White Sox, what do you think that the outfield's going to look like in 2020? Who, in your opinion, is going to push the envelope and be part of this core? Here, here's what I think. Here's what I'm 
if Jimenez is not in your outfield in 2020, there's a problem. If Luis Robert is not in your outfield in 2020, that's a problem. That third spot, I think that is wide open. You've got Rutherford, you've got Adolfo, you've got Masabe. Um, who am I missing here, guys? Um, those, those are your, those are your three. I mean, I think those are your three main ones right there for that third spot, right? I, I think. Um, yeah. We're not even talking about Avi. Um, not even a, accounting for if Nicky Delmonico can kind of turn that corner. I think. Uh, I mean, you he's guys, like, nah. I just really think that. I mean, is that what you guys are hoping for? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not hoping for that. But I think that maybe he could stick around as a fourth outfielder. Yeah, he seems more like a utility guy. But I, I believe I said that he's he's probably tradable at this point if he can salvage something. Um, I don't think he's going to be around with the team long term yeah I, let's 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 be honest here guys we don't want Nicky Delmonico on this team not like, on a winning ball club no like that's not that's nothing against him but when you've got the third best farm system in baseball and you've got seven outfield prospects that could that are hopefully coming to the major league level you want at least three of those guys to make it three or four of them I, I don't know it's yeah no no it's not it's a long stretch I'll tell you that so that'll actually kind of feed into my next question. Sure. I actually wanted to know um, who you think the most tradable prospect in the system is, because obviously we're stacked to the brim. So, I, you know, not every single person is going to make it to the major leagues, and then we're going to get to that point where we're in contention, the in-contention window, and we're going to need to make some trades and sign some free agents and all that. It's coming up soon. So, I'm going to give you a real quick the free agent. Um, something to watch for is Nolan Arenado, not next year, but the year after that. Because you, you think about this. The Yankees and Cubs are probably going to get Machado and, and Harper, either one, whatever it is, right? So you look at other teams that will be in contention then. You've got the Astros. They're not, they've got Bregman. They're not, they don't need a third baseman. Um, and then that leaves you with the Dodgers, um, who are always there, who are always going to spend money. But outside of those teams I named, who else do you think would, would spend a ton of money on a free agent? In that window, nobody. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to – I'm asking you. I'm thinking aloud right now. I'm, I'm thinking with you here. You Maybe know, the, the Yankees. No. The Yankees are always in contention for something, right? But if, if they the Nationals salvage some pitching, I mean, I, they might have that payroll when Harper leaves. My point is with the, with the Yankees. If they sign Machado, they're not signing. They're not going to spend more money on it because they've got Judge, they've got Stanton, they've got all these other guys. You think they're going to spend three hundred million on Nolan Arenado too? I don't know. I mean, that's. It just seems like I'm not saying they won't, but it just seems like the White Far Sox. Fetch. Yeah, what well, seems like the White Sox, they're gonna have. I think I, I think Matt told me something like the Sox have like maybe three million dollars on the books for 2019 or something. Yeah, something it's ridiculous. it's absolutely ridiculous how much money that they're gonna have yeah. to spend. So just I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but just keep that out there. The timing would be right. The teams that would need someone would already have someone. So the Sox wouldn't have a ton of of teams to contend with. So that's just something to think about. So back to your question, the prospect. Um, man, what you do is a farm system, you deal from your strength. You look at your farm system, they got a ton of arms, man. They don't need a ton of arms. So you don't need 15 pitchers on your, on your, in your rotation. I'm not saying they have 15, but that's something you look for. I think it's going to be an outfielder or a pitcher is what they're going to do. And I think it's going to be, I don't know who it's going to be, honestly. Um, hopefully they get rid of Avi Garcia. Hopefully <laughs> they get rid of. I think that's your your biggest trade ship because I don't think they're going to get rid of Abreu. I think he's staying. Um, so he's too vocal. They, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, what they get from Garcia will be. I mean, they're not going to get a, a top fifty player for him or something. You wouldn't think, but you know, like a Rutherford type of player. Um, maybe they can package whatever they get with that a little bit later too. Maybe maybe that guy's not even on the team. Like I'm saying, I, I don't know. But you'd have to imagine it's going to be from a place of strength. And depth, which would be your your pitching and or your outfielders. So let me let me ask you guys something. When they do make a trade, what are they trading for? What position? Like you said, probably third base range. I mean, they're not going to trade to boost boost their outfield unless none of those guys pan out, which I don't see happening. Right. See, that's so, the, that's the incredible thing here is you may not have a need if you hit right. some of these prospects, especially with what you're looking at in payroll. You could supplement this team, and they they could be a winning ball club with a very low expenditure in, in payroll. Man, they've got like I said, no money on the books. That's incredible. It's like the Bears going into this season. What they have, like $49 million on the books going into this season or something ridiculous like that. So half half of it, I mean, the Sox are going to be in even better shape. Um, obviously, you can't 
play a baseball season with $3 million on the books. You're going to have to sign people. Yeah. And even your cheapest players are, you know, a couple million dollars each. Um, so that's not, I mean, that doesn't last. But still, it's just fascinating to think what Rick Hahn has done to set himself up for this timetable is just, it, it blows my mind of, of how, how, how great he's done so far and what the future is going to be. So I think the one position that, that you may end up seeing a trade for is at catcher. Uh, this kind of leads me into one of my next questions for yeah. you. But you know Wellington is signed for two years. Uh, what's the timetable on Sevi Zavala and Zach Collins, and who do you think actually comes out of that race uh, between those two? Because uh, Zavala is a name that you didn't really hear much going into right. this yeah. year, and he's kind of really proven himself to be uh, quite the hitter. Those two guys um... – I would be shocked. Let's put it this way. I would be shocked if one of those two guys is not the starting catcher um, to at least start that season, your your championship season, so to speak. Now, the the other thing with Castillo is he's the best hitting catcher the Sox have had since AJ. I mean, that, that goes without saying. Um, the problem with, with Sevy and Zach is neither one of them are good, very good at defense. They're obviously offensive first catchers. And but I think they can play enough defense to to warrant a spot on your your starting lineup. Um, some other there's some other catchers in the system like Evan Scow, who they drafted last year, is at Canapolis. Um, Mercedes is uh, at Winston Salem right now. There's there's some other guys there, but man, is that Collins? And you take your guy at what was he tenth? I don't remember. I think remember. it was like the 8th like pick. 8th, 10th. So what? top third of the first round of the draft, whatever it would have been. Man, you hope and pray that that's your guy uh, yeah. going into it. You know what I mean? You, so you hope you don't waste that pick. Um, but Sebi Zavala, I mean, he's turned some heads, and it's such a tough thing because they're so they're neck and neck right now, guys. They're just they're just right there right now. I mean, they're both they're, they're, I mean, that's the same level. They're just right there. I, will, I mean, they're obviously the two best catchers in the system, but it's so hard to tell right now. If, if My money is on is on Zach Collins just because he, he's that left-handed hitter, and he, he can play enough, and he can throw enough. Um, so my money is on Zach Collins. Maybe a little biased. I didn't get to interview him last year here in Winston, but uh, <laughs> um, and a good dude and stuff. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, you know, Zach, I'm not just, you know, just uh, – part of the media here in Winston, you know, I, I grew up a Sox fan and, you know, we haven't had a catcher since 2005. And I asked him, I said, what would that mean to you if you were that catcher on that next White Sox World Series team? And he kind of, he just kind of told me, he said, you know, that would be awesome. And I don't know if you guys know this, he hasn't been catching very long. I actually did. I looked into that. He hasn't been catching very long. He worked hard over these last few years in college to be a catcher. So that's, that's another thing that is kind of a, kind of a bright spot is he's still kind of new to the position which means he can still grow into it, and for that, for those reasons, I think that he's my money's on him. But I will also say this: I think Zavala will also be on that team. That would so, be that would be excellent to see both of them and, and Zavala in a backup role. I think he he right. you know provide some power too, coming off the bench in, in late inning situations. Uh, I think that would be really cool to see. Yeah. All right. So we do know that you are going to the Winston-Salem finale today, and you actually got to kind of get on your way for that. So we don't want to hold you all day, even though we could ask you a hundred million questions about. Yeah, White Sox we could talk socks all day. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah. But uh, I did want to ask you one last quick question. So I was watching the um, I was watching the broadcast of the White Sox, the Charlotte Knights game that you were at yesterday, right. and I saw that the Winston Salem Dash had had that five. I think it was like a five or six run inning, and the announcer had announced that the ballpark was BB&T Ballpark. So has the fact that they're both called BB&T Ballpark? I know you're from North Carolina, but I didn't even like, think of that. has that ever confused anybody? Like maybe I, other? I didn't even think of that. It's funny. Yesterday I got yeah. to the stadium and I tweeted it out, and then I didn't. E- yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's funny. Um, no, that's right. The, um, the Wake Forest football field is also BB&T. Um, that's like a bank, right? What is? BB&T? Yeah, it's a bank, and I, you know, I don't know. I, su- I assume it's it's here, and I think uh, the the Panthers are also BB&T. That's nuts. <laughs> the I more you know. So uh, let me see here. Bank? No, they're Bank of America. So close, but. Um, but yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I said that. that's funny. Um, I will say this: yesterday the, the dash hit like a thousand home runs. Uh, Basabe, man, he's he's my odds-on favorite for that third outfield spot. I know we mentioned a lot of names, but I think Basabe is 
the odds on favorite. And Luis Robert, Robert he um, we'll figure talking, it out. Yeah, I, I was talking to I was talking to White Sox Dave yesterday, and we're both talking. We're just like, man, if, if he would have grown up in the states, man, he'd be a, a wide receiver at Alabama. He would have been. He's like built like Sean Taylor, man. He is huge. He is a a physical specimen, and I'm excited to see him play. I will give you a little information. Um, he's going to Arizona, obviously, coming yeah. up here. Uh, I think he's leaving tonight because I know he was he's with the club the first away few away games on his first homestand. So I think he's leaving tonight or tomorrow to go to Arizona, and then he's supposed to be back mid-May, start playing games beginning of May, middle of May. So I was going to say he posted a picture today. He still has, he still has that cast on his hand. Oh, yeah, so. the cast is still on. It's no secret. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be there today or not, but uh, – yeah, the cast is still on. It's no secret, but he's going to be heading to Arizona. He's supposed to be back um, early to mid-May playing games in Winston. And when he does, um, I'm going to be talking to him. And I've got some interviews coming up with the uh, with Tilson and Cordell Wednesday in Charlotte. And then Thursday, I'm talking to Adolfo, Rutherford, and Basabe. So I'll have those interviews up in, in our podcast and online as well coming up here. Excellent right. stuff. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Clinton. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. I'll be, on, I'll be a guest anytime you guys need it. Of course. You have a great great. day. Enjoy that game, man. All right, guys. See you later. Later. Wow. That that was a great interview. Yeah, that was. really loved every every little bit of information that we got out of Clinton there. Uh, it was kind of really cool to hear about the goings-on within the minor league system, you know, from somebody who sees it firsthand every day. Uh, we'd love, like we said, to have Clinton back on, and we really appreciate his time. Um, so if you're not following Future Sox, uh, please do. Like we said, they have some of the best coverage of the White Sox minor league system uh, that you can p- find anywhere. Yeah, so once again, that is at Future Sox on Twitter. And give our man Clinton a follow, too. He's going to be Cole 55 So go ahead and follow them on Twitter. You know, show them some love and help our brand grow. There we go. And I think that's going to do it this week for Shy Sox Weekly. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we look forward to talking to you again next week.